Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is uh, Georgette Petoskey, her first cousin. Her mother and Mary Jo's mother, Gwen, were sisters. So uh, Kyle's going to play a little of the interview that I did, which will run uh, more on the weekend show that we do. So hit it. How closely were you following her career in Washington and the political world? I knew where she was and what she was doing. I never met any of the other boiler room girls. I knew she was very excited and very happy about where she was. But at that time, I was in Pensacola, Florida having babies. So my life was tied up. My husband was in the Navy. We were stationed there at Softly Field and I was very busy. But I had two little girls at the time. and So the last summer I saw her, she spent her vacation with us. And we had a Volkswagen, which she didn't like at all because it was a stick shift. But then when she went back to Washington, D.C., she bought one. (laughs) I never saw her again after that. What year was that? 67. Talk about the Boiler Room Girls for people who don't know uh, who they were. The Boiler Room Girls were a group of young women who were actually political consultants. And Mary Jo's job, for the most part, there was they were each given a segment of the country as far as states go. I think Mary Jo had... New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and maybe Maryland, or maybe New York. I'm not sure. But there was no computers, so they operated off index cards. In fact, I have her index cards for when she was in the office. And they would keep in touch with all of the um, Democratic leaders in their sections and, uh, you know, encourage them to get more people involved and to support Barbara Kennedy. And they had very responsible jobs. They had to do a lot of their own writing and a lot of their own conversations with these with these people and then do whatever else they needed. Like Mary Jo was the one who wrote, who typed Bobby's presidential speech when he wrote. In fact, we have a carbon copy of that. So her relationship was more with Robert Kennedy than Ted Kennedy. Is right. that fair to say? She came. She she had been in Alabama teaching in a Catholic school, a black Catholic school. Nobody wanted her down there because it was the civil rights and it was the 60s and it was very dangerous. But she wouldn't come north until one of her friends had gotten a job in Washington. And she, now this we did talk about, she thought about she wanted to do something that would make a difference. And she felt she was doing that in teaching school. On the other hand, if she went to Washington, she had a chance to work with people who were making the laws. And that, she felt, was a, a broader expanse of assistance that she could give. So that's why she came out of the South. And she worked first for Senator Smathers from Florida. Politically, they weren't really on the same page, but she was in, in there. And... She kept putting her application in Bobby Kennedy's office. Bobby would sometimes come and get her if he needed to fill in with someone. And when she uh, 
finally was going to move over to his office, Senator Smathers says, you might as well take her because it's not my picture she's got on her desk. <laughs> it's yours. Take her. <laughs> so she started to work for Bobby then. Yeah, and she was devastated when he was killed. They all were. In fact, that last um, meeting that they had at Chappaquiddick, they had no job. Bobby was gone. And she and a couple of the other girls were given the task of shutting down his office. And then after that, everybody kind of went their own way. They were looking for other positions. And so this uh, meeting that they had on Chappaquiddick in 69 was just kind of a reunion before they really all went their separate ways. What do you know about that that night uh, in terms of what was discussed at the reunion and the uh, circumstances that she got in the car with Ted Kennedy? What do you know about all that? Nothing. I know nothing. Her parents know nothing. They knew nothing. None of us. Except what we appeared in the newspapers or was written in the books because she wasn't around after that to, to ask questions of. And when Gwen would try and get in touch with the Boiler Room girls, they would um, say, back, get in touch with my lawyer. And she... And uh, when she tried to get in touch with Ted, the one instance where he invited them to Hyannisport, because prior to that, he was more or less, uh, would you just go along with me and afterwards we'll tell you everything that happened. So they finally got an invitation to go to Hyannisport. And they thought, well, this this is it. We're, we're going to find out what, what happened. Because by that time, there were suspicions of confusion, of time that didn't work, and no one was saying really much of anything, and they had all kinds of theories. So when they got to Hyannisport, they walked into a cocktail party, and he came over and said hello, and then he left, and it came out in the news. Kopechny's had gone to a cocktail party at Hyannisport. Isn't everything wonderful? And so they never went back. So they never knew. They never had the last days or hours of their daughter's life. No one ever came to them and said this is what happened, or I saw Mary Jo and she was happy. She was looking forward to her new job. We don't know why she went in the car. We know why she went in the car. We don't know anything. They never had it, and they never got it. People had different ideas about what might have happened, but when I found out that she had died, it was a Sunday morning, and I was in the living room, and I was folding diapers because I'd had another baby. Now I had three. And so <laughs> I heard my husband answer the phone in the kitchen, and he said, um, he said, Mary Jo, that's too bad. And I knew she was dead. And he came into the living room and he said, Mary Jo was in a swimming accident. She drowned in, in, uh, up in Massachusetts. And I'm sitting there thinking, Mary Jo was an excellent swimmer. Then I thought, well, maybe she dove in and hit her head. or That's the only thing we, could, we knew. And no one else knew anything different at that time. So I called my mother, and the line was busy, and I called my sisters, and the lines were busy, and I called Gwen, and the lines were busy. So I said to Bill, let's just pack up and go down. So we came home. Then what happened when you came home? Well, everyone was still in a state of shock. Gwen and Joe were running all over, and they were just destroyed. They were just destroyed. We went to the funeral home, and Joe was kind of glazed. And um, he was trying to make other people not feel bad. You know, you know, we'll get through this. 
we'll do our best. And, but he, he wasn't even making a lot of sense. He was just, Mary Jo looked beautiful. Anyway, um, I went downstairs to see Gwen, and she was sedated. And there were all these other people around her. She said, I'm so glad you're here. And then these people I didn't know just kind of scooped her up and gave her a cup of tea and tell her everything was going to be okay, everything was going to be all right. And I thought, who are these people? I went back upstairs and visited with my family. And then the next day, when they had the funeral mass, I stayed home because I had the baby to take care of and the two other little kids. But when the funeral came up to the cemetery, we lived nearby. My mother and I walked up to the cemetery to the graveside. And we had to walk because they weren't allowing any cars in except the funeral procession. And then almost, let's see, that was in July. In November, we got transferred to Hawaii. And we went there because Mary Jo had been to Hawaii and was telling me how wonderful it was. And Bill had an option to either go to Hawaii as a family or he would go to Italy alone and I could move the house and all three kids and follow. And then... That's not happening. So, but we went to Hawaii because she had been there and loved it. So, she was kind of a role model, a mentor for me. She was two years older, and and much more serious. She took life more serious. What do you recall about Ted Kennedy coming to that funeral from your family? Well, it was shocking. I mean, I'm not shocked that he came. He should have done that, but he had that neck brace on, and it just didn't play out well. You know it. And he was, um, oh, how do I say this? How, how do I say something bad and make it sound decent? Politicking? Because everybody in town, there were thousands of people in front of the church at the funeral. There were hundreds of people lined up by the funeral home. Guilties on, you know, where that is in Florida. They, they were Everybody who was going into the funeral home was being screened. So who are you and what do you want and do you have any business being there? And they let us right in, so they must have known who we were. But when we came down from the funeral, the actual uh, funeral at the graveside, the press was in our house, and they were filing their stories on the phone. Well, you have to remember, we're two miles from town. There's no phone booths. There's no cell phones. And they're going to go in wherever they can. The girl who was watching all the babies was crying because she didn't she knew when she, they got in there that was a bad thing that she had done letting them in my brother-in-law put them out it was very hard and then Gwen and Joe and a couple of the other family members went to um, the funeral luncheon and he was there at the funeral luncheon and that was uh, the end of it I never had any contact with the Kennedys I don't know and Gwen couldn't get really good contact with them. And then we left in a month or two afterwards and to Hawaii for four years. So it was kind of like a blank spot there. So you weren't here when they had the, the inquest or anything? It I was, was not. A, okay. Well, but what are your recollections of that from your family? Um, mostly, and again, don't forget, there's no cell phones. You're going to pay for that call from Hawaii. So we didn't have many phone calls. But we wrote letters back and forth, but they were kind of sketchy because my mother and father and my family is in Pennsylvania and Gwen and Joe are still in New Jersey, and they're fielding off a lot of that. Um, Gwen said that after Ted called them the morning she died for the next day, 
within a few hours, there were Kennedy people at their house in New Jersey. And she said, of course, Gwen was, they were destroyed. And um, they were screening the people that were trying to get in touch with Gwen and Joe. And she said, at first, we thought that they were helping us. And then she realized there were people who had come that she would have wanted to see, and they were being turned away, too. 1023 at WILK. That is part of an interview that uh, I did last weekend with Georgetta Potosky, the first cousin of Mary Jo Kopechny. Her son, William Nelson, is also in the interview. And his recollection is is also very striking because he talks about when he was a kid, he was out in the yard and a guy with a really big camera came up to him in the yard and wanted to know where Mary Jo was. And he didn't know what was happening, but his dad came out and said, the next time somebody comes looking for Mary Jo, you come and get me. Does anybody remember this time? in northeastern Pennsylvania. Can anybody share a recollection of what they remember? The uh, I think the interview is, is very powerful, and it speaks to the fact that uh, Mary Jo was a real person. Sometimes I think uh, we, we gloss over this with a real family who suffered tremendously and never could get the answers that uh, they deserve. Can you imagine being invited to the Kennedy's house and you think you're going there to find out more and you walk into a cocktail party? It just seems just uh, very, very rude to me. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.